0: C'est vrai. Je suis un anana.
1: Now, in the
0: uh, towers of. Uh, I'm not Dorado, speak of Torrego I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict. Of crack cocaine. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Fat French and Fabulous. I'm Jessica. And I'm Janelle, and neither of us are dead. (laughs) Probably. I haven't checked my pulse in a while.
1: Do they have podcasting in the afterlife? I don't
0: know. Who knows? (laughs) Technology's advancing all the time.
1: (laughs) Your mother records podcasts in hell. (laughs) doesn't have the same ring to it, gotta say.
0: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'll Skype you when I'm dead. Like, like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like, two days after your funeral. Do-do-do. (laughs) Do-do-do. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) I have no doubt that you will haunt me into the afterlife and beyond. That's...
0: Uh, Assuming I predecease you, which isn't much of an assumption to make, I am basically an inbred cat (laughs) I will haunt you (laughs) you don't wear shoes in
1: January and you eat whatever's unattended at a party so yeah (laughs) save me a spot in hell
0: (laughs) I take best before dates as a suggestion uh, and I wheeze when I go up more than two flights of stairs so generally speaking my odds aren't looking great
1: (laughs) Statistically, you're heading into the light, as we speak.
0: Uh, but speaking of people who were unusually long considering their profession, today we're going to be talking about Virginia Hall, an American Ooh. agent uh, in World War II working in uh, working in France.
1: That was one of our better segues. Gotta say that's yes. <laughs> that's that's some, that's some top ten shit. Butter smooth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But uh, Virginia Hall was born April 6, 1906, in Baltimore, Maryland, and was the youngest and o- child and only daughter of a well-to-do American family of social climbers. Her paternal grandfather, John W. Hall, had run away ran away at the age of nine to a life on the sea on one of the family's ships, but he had eventually settled down, marrying an heiress and becoming president of the first national bank.
1: Well, you know, so that's, that's not usually how Join the Circus Narratives run, but... No. It it usually ends much worse than that, but... (laughs) Run away for a life on the sea at the age of nine is unusually young. (laughs) Having it work out is is even more unusual, like...
0: He was a very independent prepubescent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, mother, I'm off to marry and pay taxes.
0: (laughs) At the age of nine, I could barely tell which shoes were mine, never mind which <laughs> foot to put them on. Fun, fun Jessica fact, I literally could not competently tie my shoes at the age of nine. <laughs> I fully believe that. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't until around 12 that I really
1: mastered the art. <laughs> I have no doubt that, like, at the age of nine, you had read the entire works of Victor Hugo in both languages. But uh, you couldn't (laughs) buckle your own seatbelt. Like, that's just... That's the learning curve that you exist on.
0: I had unusual peaks and valleys in skills. Jessica is recording this from her middle school locker right now. (laughs) Virginia's own mother, Barbara, had been a secretary and married her boss, Edwin Lee Hall, a wealthy banker. That's one way to do it. I mean gotta work your way up somehow. And clearly the <laughs> typing pool just wasn't doing it. <laughs> uh, as an adolescent, Virginia was considered a natural leader and apparently self-identified as cantankerous and capricious. Self-identified as cantankerous. Self-identified as cantankerous. All this right. is someone... In the modern day, she would be wearing a shirt that says, I am that bitch.
1: And boomers complain about having A third gender option on the form They had cantankerous Back in her day
0: Yeah, My gender is Asshole (laughs) (laughs) True (laughs) She was something of a tomboy Participating in hunting and shooting And often wearing slacks and checked shirts Unusual even for a young woman of the post-suffragette Flapper era (gasps) Shocking What would your mother say? She would say, get married. (laughs) Um, She likewise once wore a bracelet of live snakes to class, which is a bold fashion choice. That's a big mood. Don't fuck with Virginia. Fashion forward, even for the time. (laughs) Virginia was particularly close to her father, who indulged her more adventurous and masculine pursuits, even gifting her a 12-gauge shotgun for hunting. (laughs) That's what every little girl wants (laughs) You know daddy's little princess Needs yourself as 12 gauge (laughs) Barbara Hall's ambition For her daughter was that she should likewise Marry advantageously Which Virginia entertained for some time Becoming engaged at 19 To a rich young man who she later dumped Seeing him as quite accurately As an entitled philanderer
1: Okay alright Not the best set of descriptions for a future husband
0: but virginia herself dreamed of joining the diplomatic service in pursuit of which she wound up attending five different prestigious colleges and universities over the next 7 years
1: <laughs> they're not pokemon virginia pick one
0: <laughs> very much very much a modern attitude for a for a 20th early 20th century woman uh, I hate
1: boys and I want school. It's like it's my life story. Really, so relatable. <laughs>
0: she she attended uh, the uh, the Radcliffe College in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Ooh. which is which was later part of Harvard. Uh, she which she found dull, <laughs> not cool enough. Another. <laughs> in 1925, she attended Barnard College in Manhattan. Oh, I know where that was... is. Yes, yes, you do. That's the um... Columbia
1: College of Lesbians.
0: <laughs> yes, it has been Barnard College has been well known as the the retreat of independent young women who like to wear trousers for some time now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can say that because I have friends at Barnard, but it is the first stop on the road to Gay Town. <laughs> Gay Town's in the West Village. Can't miss it.
0: So she crossed the pond over to the École Libre des Sciences Politiques in Paris where she dove into the nightlife of the city drinking dancing smoking and socializing with a bevy of entertainers intellectuals and burgeoning political figures I
1: like it mother i am bored send me to kiss french boys
0: <laughs> Incidentally as as a cultural note on uh, on intense elitist snobbery the Ecole Libre des Sciences Politiques, or Sciences Po, is extremely pretentious. <laughs> if you told someone in, in, in France that you went to Sciences Po, they would be incredibly Frenchly impressed. Oh, <laughs> c'est magnifique. Have a baguette. Your boyfriend is French. <laughs>
1: Dating a French person has done nothing to dispel any French stereotypes. If anything, they're more ingrained now.
0: Uh, I've been delighted by you texting me texting me your complaints about French grammar. It has been a delight.
1: I wish to file a complaint. French is awful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Who do I
1: speak to about getting better
0: verbs? It's the Académie française, but they're filled with old fucks who don't give a shit. <laughs> as far as they're concerned, doctor is still exclusively masculine. <laughs>
1: Wonderful kitchen, though that's feminine. Oh, absolutely.
0: Never. <laughs> I think. I think You messaged me, and you're just like. You're like the gender of nouns is in French is sexist.
1: I listen. I ran this past my French boyfriend, and he went, "Ah, yeah."
0: <laughs> so yeah you know like kitchen is feminine dress is feminine uh office though that feminine. shit's masculine c'est la mer because there's nothing more french than taking a massive dump uh <laughs> <laughs>
1: wonderful amazing <laughs> what a beautiful language
0: uh, what a beautiful people the language of poetry of romance.
1: <laughs> but for real, all he wants to eat is baguettes and cheese. He's done absolutely <laughs> nothing for his people.
0: Uh, it is in Paris that Hall likewise developed a strong affiliation with France and the relative personal freedom it afforded her, coming to see it as something of a second home. In late 1927, she moved to Vienna to study at the Consular Academy. And again took in the local underground social scene. Another! Give me another! another. <laughs> I am not yet satisfied! <laughs> uh, she also had a brief unofficial engagement to a Polish army officer, but broke it off in response to her father's objection in a rare fit of filial duty. She Ooh. also finally got her degree, but that might have been somewhat beside the point. <laughs> she got one degree in all of this? Here, she I got thought she was A degree! <laughs> I thought she was doing a degree in each school. She got no. one degree? Girl. She spread one degree across seven seven years and five schools in three countries. <laughs> How did the credits even transfer? Girl, what? I mean, they'll let you you have anything when your grandfather's the president of the First National Bank. (laughs) Her time in Europe granted Hall strong fluency in French, German, Italian, Russian, and Spanish, though she nonetheless spoke with a strong American accent. She likewise wound up steeped in the growing political tensions of the time, outbreaks of ground-level fascists in Austria, Mussolini's growing police state in Italy, and the rise of Hitler's National Socialists in Germany. In 1929, Hall returned to Maryland shortly before the stock market collapsed, nearly wiping out the Hall family fortune. Hall nonetheless pursued graduate studies at George Washington University in the District of Columbia. No, she's not allowed to go for more school. (laughs) (laughs) You've had enough, Virginia!
1: If, like, spoiler alert, World War II hadn't derailed her entire life, I think she'd still be in school. (laughs) Can you imagine how many schools she could spread
0: a doctoral degree across? Right? (laughs) She'd probably still be going to school when she died. (laughs) She then applied to the State Department Diplomatic Service. Hall assumed that her academic qualifications and language skills would put her in good stead for the entrance exam, but she was nonetheless rejected. At the time, only six out of 1,500 Foreign Service officers were women. Oh, wow. Undeterred, Hall decided if she wasn't welcome at the front door, she might as well check out the back. Oh, you're so innocent to be using that kind of phrasing. Uh, During this time, Hall likewise attempted to support her struggling family. In January 1931, her beloved father, Ned, suffered a fatal heart attack at the age of 59, likely exacerbated by the stress of his floundering business ventures and the guilt of the countless employees that they were shedding like a malfunctioning centrifuge. Who Hall's Banker brother, John, and his family moved in with her at the family home at Boxhorn Farm, an arrangement Hall found extremely claustrophobic. I can imagine. And she, like, like, realistically, like, she's been venturing around Europe. She's been independent most of her adult life. This has to be quite stifling.
1: She's got one and
0: five-eighths of a degree, you know? She's... That August, Hall managed to acquire a job as a clerk at the American Embassy in Warsaw, Poland, finally making her way into the State Department, albeit as nothing more than a secretary. Hall nonetheless quickly distinguished herself, and her superiors gave her the go-ahead to retake the entrance exam to the Diplomatic Corps. Oddly, the questions for the oral portion of the examination, on which Hall had received 100% during her first application, never showed up, leading her to miss the submission deadline. Oh... Sexist bureaucracy. Uh, In April 1933, Hall transferred to Smyrna, Turkey, which was of less strategic interest, but had plenty of opportunity for hunting and other outdoor sport. On the 8th of December, Hall was on a snipe-shooting expedition to a local marsh. During the hunt, Hall stumbled climbing over a wire fence, causing her beloved 12-gauge shotgun to slip off her shoulder and catch on her coat. Hall hadn't enabled the safety, so when she attempted to grab it, it went off, firing a round of lead buckshot into Hall's left foot. Her friends oh. managed to staunch the bleeding enough to, via improvised tourniquet that Hall survived the trip to the hospital, where doctors managed to stabilize her condition. Hall initially appeared to be making a good recovery, but after a few weeks, the leg became infected and gangrene set in. In the world before antibiotics, such an infection was nigh untreatable and might result in total organ failure as poison from the infected tissue seeped through the rest of the body. On Christmas Day, surgeons amputated the leg, uh, just below the knee, saving Hall's life and effectively ending her hopes of ever becoming a diplomat. Aww. Uh, it, it, admittedly, it's a tad strange from a modern perspective, but in an era where an able-bodied, highly educated woman would struggle to dr- join the diplomatic service, a disabled woman had no hope. I was gonna say, today, I'm like, I don't think you need legs to be a diplomat. I th- I think- <laughs> I, last, last time I heard you, paper is not that heavy. <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you, you don't, you just need a million
0: dollars and powerful friends. Inclusion. You just need to have the right pedigree and enough money to shock a Rockefeller. Like, <laughs> it's all it takes. When you're meeting someone from Luxembourg, there's no need to perform any drop kicks. <laughs> it's the only greeting they recognize. Yeah, uh, sorry, it's just every day at the UN starts with a game of horse. <laughs> You can, you can win a horse without legs You just, you just, you just stand there, really <laughs> uh, Eleven days later, Hall's health took another turn This time through a dangerous bout of severe sepsis During her delirium, Hall had what she described as a vision of her father sitting by her bedside Telling her she had a duty to survive and not to give up But that if she truly couldn't stand the pain, he would come back for her Hall was not notably religious, but appears to have taken this event quite genuinely as her father speaking to her from beyond the grave. Hall blamed herself for the accident that took her leg, but likewise took it as her dead dad given duty not to let it stop her.
1: <laughs> My dad says I have to spy on foreign countries.
0: Papa said to fight the Nazis! <laughs> I don't remember this part of Hamlet. <laughs> Oh man, but you can't you can't tell me it wouldn't have improved it. <laughs> <laughs> in May 1934, still dependent on crutches, Hall attempted to return to work at the consulate, but found herself quickly exhausted moving even short distances. This alongside the constant pain re- resulted in rapid emotional and physical deterioration, and Hall returned to the, sh- the United States shortly thereafter. Aww. In the US, Hall was hospitalized once more for repair operations, likely involving further tissue removal to avoid infection or necrosis. She was likewise fitted with a modern prosthetic, the height of medical technology at the time. (laughs) It's it's a peg?
1: Is that what it is?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is a new leg made out of hollow-painted wood with an aluminum foot, (laughs) Uh, held in place by leather straps and corsetry. (laughs) Uh, my sources described the prosthetic as clumsy and heavy, weighing around eight pounds, leading me to the rather odd search engine request of, how much does a leg weigh? Because I genuinely did not know. Well, (laughs) that's (laughs) not suspicious at all. (laughs) Excuse me, how much does- Google, how much does a human leg weigh? I am curious for reasons. (laughs) Uh, from what I'm able to gather, an entire leg of a tall, slim woman such as Virginia Hall might wear, weigh anywhere from thir- 20 to 30 pounds. But I Whoa. suppose the fact that the prosthetic is dead weight rather than a muscled limb capable of supporting itself somewhat complicates matters. I was gonna say, I don't I don't have a realistic
1: sense of, of limb weight. 30 pounds no. is actually a lot more than I thought. I was like,
0: what is a, what is a leg... That's a quite a heavy leg. I don't know how much a leg should weigh. Me Presumably either. my leg would weigh quite a bit more than that. <laughs> I've no
1: idea. Should I be ashamed of this gap in my knowledge, or does it just mean that I've never cut anybody up?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you should be proud, if anything. Not to know the weight of a human limb. Not to know the weight of a human being by part. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've never had to package anybody in individual duffel bags to throw them in a
0: lake. I don't know what a human pork chop weighs. I just don't know. Hall <laughs> spent the next several months relearning how to walk and fighting off depression. And in November 1934, she returned to work, requesting no accommodation and t- taking a posting in Venice. Venice? Venice? notably, was and is rather ill-equipped to accommodate mobility issues. Uh, I, the- was, I was gonna say, is she gonna, f- like, maybe her leg floats? <laughs> so that's... Fun story. My, my, my uncle my uncle actually had a wooden leg for a very long time, and he once fell down a beaver slough. Uh, a beaver chute into a slough. And uh, he nearly drowned because... His leg was wooden, so it kept popping up to the surface and dunking him.
1: <laughs> I was just laughing at your use of the phrase, a very long time, because it kind of makes it sound like he had a wooden leg for a while, but then the real one grew back. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I think, no, he just got an aluminum one. <laughs> Technology had a fake leg for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, in my family, you know, we just, you just, every once in a while, you gotta like drop off a limb to escape a predator, but like it'll grow back.
1: <laughs> Is Jessica a salamander? Another fascinating <laughs> questions we cover this week on the podcast.
0: That's the reason why I wear tinted glasses to hide the fact that I blink sideways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why do I talk to you?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a high... Venice, Venice has a high number of stairs, cobbled streets, and it is constantly damp. It was built on a swamp. It's been sinking for hundreds of years. There's, there's not a lot of, like, room for error. <laughs> like, the the, the the moss buildup and algae alone should have been fatal. But to compensate... Uh, Hull used a personal gondola alongside the assistance of a local named Angelo, which is a bit on the nose. Oh, I was hoping personal gondola.
1: I was like, I really <laughs> hope she just got a boat and just went fuck yeah, land. No, she absolutely just got a fucking boat. I am a sea diplomat now.
0: I will I will rule the canals. <laughs> <laughs> Hull once m- once more impressed her superiors and was gradually given higher level work normally reserved for diplomatic officers rather than clerical staff. This is going to be a pattern, but every time she's actually working with people, they're very impressed. Yeah, because she's a transformer. She loses a limb, <laughs> yeah. she turns into a vehicle. <laughs> Don't fuck with her. Yeah, she's just gonna she's just gonna like turn into a wood panelled van. <laughs> <laughs> But after five years overseas service for the State Department, Hall would no longer need to take the written exam for the diplomatic service, merely a qualifying interview. So in January 1937, at the age of 30, Hall returned once more to the United States, again with the endorsement of her superiors at the consulate. Despite her proven competence, her application was again rejected, citing an obscure rule barring amputees from the diplomatic corps the decision handed down from the secretary from secretary of state cordell hull personally what <laughs> yeah like they literally had a rule that said no amputees progressive what the fuck why would you specify
1: <laughs> i hope she hit him in the head with her prosthetic leg
0: i genuinely i hope it made a hollow thunk maybe they should have made it out of hardwood <laughs> it's really the only mature reaction to that news in response to lobbying for a reversal by Friends of Hall within elite circles, in February 1938, Hull briefed President Roosevelt that Hall's disability hindered her performance, an opinion with no basis in the overwhelmingly positive reports from Hall's direct supervisors in Venice. President Roosevelt, himself partially paralyzed, does not appear to have engaged further. Oh. History does not say whether the irony was lost upon anyone. (laughs) (laughs) So he was like, well, I share in your plight, but no, fuck you. I mean, a woman without a leg, be a diplomat, that'll never happen. As he wheels himself around the White House. A man could just be a a penis with a heartbeat, and he's still fit for
1: the (laughs) highest office in the land, but a woman...
0: You may be missing a leg, but you're also missing a far more important limb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've done it. We've solved world history. Patriarchy is over. Go home, everybody.
0: <laughs> That's a wrap, ladies. We can call it a day. <laughs> uh, I promise there are some competent men in the story. <laughs> Good. Good. Not President Roosevelt. <laughs> can you imagine just the
1: balls it takes to go in and brief a disabled president about why... A disability makes one unfit for to serve the country. and then Oh, getting you have away to have two-pound
0: testes.
1: <laughs> Just having him stand oh, there shit. and go, like, yes, well, you make an excellent point. Just
0: the brass, well-polished balls.
1: The, the disabled should be ground up for food now that you've, you know, presented it that way.
0: <laughs> what a fool you I have You've made been. your case. <laughs> and what was almost certainly a deliberate punishment, Hall was restationed against her wishes to the legation in Tallinn, Estonia. Ooh. A legation being a type of diplomatic mission similar to an embassy, but headed by a lower-ranking minister rather than ambassador. And it's in Estonia, uh, which, you know. And it's in Estonia. I'm like, I know I know a really cool dude from Estonia, uh, but the number one fun fact I have about them is that they have the world's greatest collection of swamps. So, oh, that's... Yeah, they... World's highest concentration of swamps.
1: You heard it here first, Instagram stars. (laughs) I was gonna say, my guess for, like, imports to Estonia would be, like, thinly veiled Russian oppression and refugees who can't get into a better country. A
0: little bit. It's technically
1: (laughs) Europe. Uh... (laughs) Uh, In the
0: most technical sense of the word, and no other... When Hall had to make a slight detour to Paris for repairs to her leg, she was told that her travel cost would not be reimbursed. Oh, bitches. Her replacement in Venice, a man, was granted the status of vice consul as well as higher pay. Oh, good. And
1: I bet he got all of his leg repair-related trips reimbursed. They're like, what's that? You need your mustache polished? In Prague? Well,
0: of course. Send us an invoice. Make sure we have your receipts. (laughs) Notably, Hall never received a single raise during her entire seven years of service. Oh. And after some time performing menial clerical work in Estonia, Hall resigned in March 1939.
1: (laughs) That sounds like something they would do to a prisoner of war. Alright, here's your assignment. (laughs) Menial clerical work in Estonia. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you see what I mean when I say it appears to have been a punishment.
1: <laughs> how dare you be a woman who's missing a leg?
0: Even if it's, just, like, honestly, it was 0. 0.5 of a leg. She still had most of it <laughs> in terms of weight. Are we doing leg
1: <laughs> fractions now? Is that how this works?
0: Yeah. She 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 had 3.5 healthy limbs. <laughs> you just that should be enough. Sit there and think about being able-bodied. Ah, just get it together. Grow back that leg. Uh, <laughs> that September, Germany invaded Poland, and Hall decided to leave Estonia before similarly expansionist Russia got any ideas.
1: Oh yeah, Estonia was not a fun place to be in World War II. We gloss over this a lot Ew. in, like, Canadian and American schools, because we're too busy being like, fuck yeah, atomic bomb.
0: But yeah, it was... <laughs> it was- It was not not a good place to be. (laughs) The Baltics were not the funnest place on Earth. (laughs) No, and they
1: after the war we were kind of like, well, we've been hard enough on Russia can keep them.
0: Not exactly Disneyland. Just as many people, creepy people dressed as mice. (laughs) It was it was a bad time. I know literally one dude from Estonia, and he has stories about making friends with the rats that lived in his house. So... (laughs) That's... Um, Near the end of October, she took a ship to London, where she attempted to volunteer for the British Auxiliary Territorial Service, the women's branch of the army. But recruiters turned her away as a foreigner. Hall instead traveled to Paris... And in February 1940, successfully joined the French 9th Artillery Regiment as an ambulance driver. After a course of in first aid, on May 6th, Hall was stationed on the northeastern border near the heavily fortified uh, Maginot Line. Hall, Hall was f- therefore a first-hand witness when, on May 10th, the German Wehrmacht invaded France north of the Maginot Line by way of Belgium and the entirely unguarded Ardennes Forest. And as the supposedly undefeatable French defenses crumbled over the course of six weeks, yeah, also a bad time. Also a bad time to be French. <laughs> Just she is <laughs> ground level on some A class bullshit. <laughs> not a not a fun time. Not a good not a good time. <laughs> Hall was appalled to see many of many members of her ambulance unit panic and abandon the injured to die, as they themselves had been abandoned by their fleeing officers and commanders. She spent several weeks ferrying injured soldiers to hospitals in Paris, a duty that required applying for fuel coupons and passes from occupying Nazi authorities. Oh, so she's, she's too disabled to do diplomatic office work,
1: but she's able enough to just pick up some wounded French dudes and
0: carry them to a hospital. She's got enough leg to drive an ambulance through a battle zone but apparently <laughs> she can just
1: toss a dude over her shoulder all,
0: all, all that heavy paperwork
1: was just too much for her <laughs> you can't possibly shake hands with a foreign diplomat that'll exhaust her womanly senses to
0: go over there and pick up that fighting dead guy <laughs> As an officially neutral American, Hall found that she had far greater freedom than the French citizens around her, even as a member of the defeated French military. After her unit was officially disbanded, Hall returned once more to London via Spain, but not for long. A chance meeting with an undercover British British agent just across the Spanish border led Hall to revealing parts of her story. But the agent, a George Bellows, who had been monitoring the chaos in France as best he could through the reports of those crossing the border, was impressed with Hall's mettle and keen mind. So he slipped her the number of a friend in London, actually that of Nicholas Buddington, a senior officer in the Special Operations Executive, a newly created and highly secret paramilitary branch of the British Intelligence Service. In London, Hall reported to the American Embassy, where she requested temporary employment while awaiting a return stateside, and made report of the situation inside France. She quickly found work as a secretary for the military attaché, but as more than a year had elapsed since her resignation, she wasn't able to require passage home via the American government, and no private means were available. Mm. Stuck in London, under the Blitz, she called the number she had been given in Spain, earning an invitation to the home of Mr. and Mrs. Boddington on the evening of January 14th, 1941. While Call had no knowledge of Nicholas Boddington's position as an officer of the SOE, over dinner, she casually and confidently explained her pa- plan to return to France, seeing as she had no way of returning to America. She would get, on, get some old contracts in the sta- contacts in the State Department to fast-track a visa, travel by train from northern Spain through the French Riviera under the guise of aiding Quaker refugee relief efforts, and send intel reports to newspapers back in the U.S. Obviously, as an American, she'd be able to move around openly, without suspicion. The French division of the SOE, of which Boddington was a member, had been trying to get an agent into France for the last six months, to no avail, not the least due to the terror of en- entering a territory controlled by a hostile foreign force alone with no possibility of backup should something go wrong. I can see how that'd be a problem. <laughs> the next morning, Boddington made immediate report of Hall's plan in an urgent men- memo to his section head at the SOE office in 64- on 64 Baker Street suggesting that the SOE facilitate Hull's travel and compensate her expenses in return for her assistance. As a parachute drop or covert sea landing has proven inoperable, why not simply employ an American who could waltz right over the border with visa and passport in hand and ask whatever question she wanted under the guise of a journalist? (laughs) I just like that Americans are kinda dumb, let them do whatever they
1: want. Has been Europe's policy forever. Ah, it's just a dumb American with a
0: camera. Let her go. <laughs> no. She'll walk in there and ask suspicious questions, but on the bright side, she's American. No one will take it personally. <laughs> oh, she's just just look at those cute little Americans. They
1: don't know anything. That's like, just like oh, ah you <laughs> I mean, good for them for finding out how to weaponize that, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, the ugly tur- the ugly American stereotype is finally coming to an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming oh, together. Oh boy. Boddington applied to have Hall screened by MI5, but the section offered her a job well before it was completed, not wanting the spectacular opportunity that had landed in their laps to get away before they could get the paperwork in order. So they just checked that she had shifty eyes and they were like, nope, that's
1: they're within shiftiness boundaries. She's good to go.
0: Just shifty enough, in fact. The right amount Congratulations, of welcome to British espionage. <laughs> I feel safer already. With a salary barely a fourth of her former State Department pay, Hall was tasked with entering France as Section F's first fee- female agent and only secret liaison officer on a likely suicide mission to coordinate resistance leadership, recruit future agents, and build paramilitary capacity. The plan was to imitate your Irish Republican paramilitary's own resistance to the British, inspiring and assisting the French to rise up against their occupiers, as an actively hostile civilian population is much harder to defeat than a simple organized military. No mention of Hall's prosthetic was made in the SOE files, not because they were unaware of it, they seemed simply unbothered by it. Uh-huh. Despite the ability to run being generally considered a useful skill in a secret agent, <laughs> <laughs> I just like that they're like, alright, this is
1: probably a suicide mission. It's so incredibly dangerous that none of the men will do it. You're literally the only person we can get. Here's four dollars. Bye.
0: <laughs> Every tough-as-nails manly men, man we've sent over across the border has chickened out. I know. A one-legged clerk from Baltimore.
1: <laughs> like, you're expecting her to die right away. It's not like you're expecting to have to give her a pension. Give her a couple good paychecks. Come on.
0: The pay sucks, and you'll probably get murdered. <laughs> but here you go. <laughs> we found this behind the couch. <laughs> <laughs> the SOE did, however, neglect to grant her an equivalent military rank as they would for another agent, as this would have required to her to pass a medical test that very much included having two whole legs. Aww. Oh. Hall was given basic training on how to be a spy, including lockpicking, losing a tail, secreting away documents, and handling various firearms. She was likewise given a set of cyanide capsules, a set of morphing tablets, and a set of a set of tablets intended to imitate symptoms of typhoid, a set of benzedrine tablets, and a Colt 32 revolver. And instruct and was instructed to only kill should the safety of herself or a her comrade be threatened. <laughs> Here's a gun, don't you dare shoot it. <laughs> no, literal license to kill my girl Virginia. <laughs> See, that's why you send a woman. Cause someone restraint. with a modicum of restraint. <laughs> Uh, her departure was delayed by the American State Department dragging its heels, and meanwhile the British managed to parachute two French agents, a circuit organizer, uh, circuit organizer Pierre de Vamecourt, codenamed Lucas, and wireless operator Georges Begay, into France. Uh, nonetheless, on August 23rd, 1941, Virginia Hall boarded a ship bound for Portugal. By September 4th, she registered her arrival in France with the collaborationist Vichy government under her own name, claiming status as a special envoy for the New York Post. Spying under your own name is
1: some boss-level shit. It's like in a cartoon when they like, they're asked for a name and they look around for inspiration, but the only thing she's holding is her own passport. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it.
0: <laughs> uh, my name is... Virginia! And then she looks over to like, a, the, the door for the hallway. Hall! Fuck! <laughs> All she had was a packet of Virginia Slims and a, and a Hall's breath mint, and that's... <laughs> 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 As mail was censored and phone calls monitored, Hall could only communicate to her handlers what she could publish directly, beyond what few pre-agreed code words she could include. Her handlers, meanwhile, had no means to communicate with her. Hall was initially protected from the Gestapo by her cover as a journalist, but likewise began cultivating powerful friends in the Vichy government who would defend her if need be, including chief censor of the foreign press for the Ministry of Information, Suzanne Bertillon, who not only avoided censoring Hall's articles, but likewise helped her set up extensive networks of contacts throughout the country. (laughs) I just like that they're like, all right, how are you going to transmit top secret information to us that like you know
1: the future of Europe depends on this you could be killed for this I know publish it in a newspaper genius
0: <laughs> Run, send it to an editor and just put it on in, in the international press we'll read it while, while we eat breakfast <laughs> As I assume will her, her document smuggling nation. training
1: was just walk through a room holding documents in
0: your hands. <laughs> Hall's genuine love of France allowed her to appeal to the pride and patriotism of these figures, and her obvious foreignness made them more willing to look, overlook any discrepancies in her behavior. After a month, Hall made her way east to Lyon, a city with a history of rebellion and sedition close to the border with neutral Switzerland. Due to the glut of refugees from the directly German-controlled north, the city had limited capacity to house a visiting stranger. So Hall's, Hall called upon the Sainte Elizabeth Convent, the nuns of which became some of her first recruits.
1: Uh, are you still there? I'm still there. I'm absorbing the news of we have a one-legged amputee who's publishing all of her secret information in the newspaper with the help of nuns. Perfect. Euro- <laughs> Europe is safe.
0: <laughs> Nuns of the revolution. Uh, she soon after moved to the Grand Nouvelle Hotel on Rue Grolet, in the center of town near the American consulate. Hall registered herself as Brigitte Lecontre, u- using false papers supplied by the SOE.
1: Well, that is sufficiently French, I am satisfied.
0: She likewise dyed her red hair brown And switched from her Parisian chic and trousers To a less conspicuous and more traditionally feminine wardrobe of tweed To avoid the attention of the authorities And also presumably to cover up her leg (laughs) Actually no She usually wore tight um, medical uh, tights Like thick medical tights Um, Okay That's how she disguised the leg Although that became difficult later on as those medical uh, tights became harder and harder to acquire.
1: It's just kind of hilarious because it's like, all right, dye your hair, change your name, uh, but you still have one leg. It's it's like changing your name and dyeing your hair, but you still have a horn
0: sticking out of your forehead. Like, it's just like <laughs> There's only
1: so much that this can do for you.
0: The only way it would be worse if she she was purple. Like when you are a spy, you want to be as boring looking as possible, <laughs> right? Like, like I, I
1: get what you're going for, but I have con- I have concerns.
0: And it is like you don't want to be the kind of person people notice.
1: <laughs> like, oh, I, I don't know where that Virginia went, but this new
0: Bernadette Clomp Clomp like has <laughs> the same limp and face. Who would have thought? Actually, Hall quickly gained a knack for disguises, using wide brimmed hats, glasses, and rubber inserts in her cheeks to change the shape of her face.
1: That is dedication.
0: Just the taste. You like old-fashioned rubber? Mm. Uh, Vulcanized. Delicious. Uh, (laughs) This allowed her to quickly transition between three distinct alternate identities. Brigitte, Germaine, or Marie. Hall had long practiced disguising her emotions and distinctive limp, though it still showed through when she was tired. Paul began building a circuit of French agents and, res- and resources helped in no small amount by the brutal repression of the Vichy, po- Vichy police, including mass shootings and guillotinings, which left the local populace f- furious and spoiling for a fight. I can see why. Isn't it weird that we were still using the guillotine? Everything that every French person has ever done is just
1: a collection of French stereotypes. <laughs> it's, just, it's just guillotines and baguettes all the way down. That's their whole culture. Oh. Every single one of my boyfriend's friends is named, like, Pierre and is currently eating a baguette. Like, it's not. They lean in hard.
0: <laughs> oh, they're so proud of it. It's almost admirable. <laughs> American Vice Consul George Whittinghall helped Hall set up a system to smuggle messages out of France in American diplomatic pouches, which were exempt from typical screening. These messages were sent first sent to Colonel Barnwell Lege, the American military attache in Switzerland, and I dearly hope they did not pronounce it leg, as Americans are wont to do.
1: (laughs) I just like that they don't search the Americans. They're like, all they ever have is a big bag full of little Eiffel Tower statues. They're adorable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Uh, (laughs) Ledge then forwarded them on to Hall's handlers in London, and likewise received and forwarded replies and pay packets marked Marie, care of, lion, uh, meaning hall and Whittinghall, back to France. A discreet and reliable, if slow, means of communication. Organizing parachute drops, however, would require something far closer to synchronous communication, as might be provided by a radio operator. where the only SOE wireless operator in France, bigay not currently being monopolized by Lucas in another city. <laughs> I love that. Our three options for
1: communication are snail mail, Uh, the classifieds, and a radio (laughs) technology that we don't have access to. Perfect. Woo! Let's
0: do this. In August, SOE (laughs) managed to parachute in another wireless operator, Gilbert Turk. Either that or Gilbert Turk, I'm not actually sure. How French, we don't know. (laughs) Codenamed Christophe, who had been knocked unconscious by his landing, allowing him to be picked up by the French police and imprisoned. He was released after unexplained intervention by Vichy high command.
1: Brilliantly done, just
0: <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Stick the landing. have got a crack squad.
1: <laughs> Woo! You're just waiting for this radio operator who's like the last hope of liberating
0: Paris, and you just hear him splat. <laughs> <laughs> like what was that loud clunk? I. Th- think that was a radio operator, we're gonna have to scrape off the tarmac with a spatula. <laughs> <sighs> In September, around a dozen more Section F agents smuggled themselves into France, either by sea or by air. On October 10th, another four men dropped, alongside a supply of explosives, weapon and weapons, and cash. Three were quickly met by French resistance members and secreted away, while a fourth wound up a a few miles off course, landed on a rock, and was, like Christophe, knocked the fuck out and arrested by French police the next morning. (laughs)
1: Before they practice their radio skills, they really need to practice the parachuting, because this is now a significant (laughs) problem. This is
0: ridiculous.
1: <laughs> Are they just you'd have more luck just catapulting them over
0: the border <laughs> at this point. You might as well just get a ballista set up across the channel and fling them.
1: <laughs> like they need to just tunnel in like moles. Clearly this whole fall from the sky thing is is. I think not this is where the out. idea from the ch- where
0: the idea for the channel came from.
1: <laughs> nah na 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 what's that? It's a
0: British radio operator. <laughs> <laughs> On the person of the captured agent was a map up to an SOE safe house on the outskirts of Marseille. Which, for some reason, the SOE had given to all of their agents.
1: <laughs> here's here's a list of all of our secrets. Here's a map for all of our hideouts. And uh, here you go. Just jump out of an airplane over French territory uh, without a parachute or any ability to operate one. Bye!
0: <laughs> We've tattooed our legal names Right across our nipples <laughs> Just just to make it convenient for you.
1: Like did you have any like social security numbers and credit card information you'd like to add while we're at it? Like <laughs>
0: uh, unfortunately, this Marseille safe house was also where Christophe had been hiding since his miraculous release in August.
1: Oh god damn it.
0: Begay, overworked and highly vulnerable, was under considerable risk, as radio detection cars roamed the street streets of Chateau attempting to triangulate the transmission point of clandestine radio communication. Feeling the heat, Beguet contacted the only other free-zone wireless operator currently at Liberty. Christophe responded with an invitation to all agents for a meeting at the Villa des Bois safehouse on the outskirts of Marseille. While a few of the agents, including Hall, had the good sense to steer clear of such an obvious breach of protocol, Many others responded out of desperation, having found themselves isolated and under-resourced in a hostile nation.
1: Yeah, let's all just gather our most secret undercover people in one room. That's not suspicious at all.
0: The result was a near-total wipeout of the SOC agents in southern France, including Begay, arrested (sighs) by the Vichy police to await torture and execution. The remaining SOE officers in the free Free Zone numbered four in total. Francis Bessin stationed in the French Riviera and codenamed Olive, Georges de Boudin, stationed in Lyon along Hall and codenamed Alain, and Philippe de Vemécourt, recruited by his brother and codenamed Gautier, all of them dependent on Hall, who now had the only reliable means of communication with London. Lucas remained free in the north. Like, at this point, you just gotta
1: take two cans and put a really long string between them. <laughs> And just chuck one over the English channel. <laughs> like, so
0: how about Smoke Signal? Have we tried <laughs> Smoke Signal? <laughs> <laughs> like that's where we're at at this point. That is where, what it is coming to. William Simpson, a badly burned former Air Force pilot who was friends with Whittinghall, impressed with Hall, introduced her to his dearest acquaintance in Lyon, a 37-year-old Germaine Guerin, who draped herself in finery and furs, surrounded herself with black cats, and held partial ownership in a Lyonnaise brothel.
1: Excellent. I'm. It sounds gay. I'm <laughs> in. Mean, like.
0: Oh man, I'm like, I am already 100% on board. <laughs> <laughs> German and Vichy clients, eager to earn her favor, often gave her heavily restricted gasoline, which she then used to move escapees and resistance agents in her car. Guérin agreed to allow use of sections of her brothel and her three other apartments as safe houses and likewise became an important pillar in Hall's operation.
1: I just like that she's basically the freedom Uber. (laughs) Get in, losers, we're going to liberation.
0: Uh, With a secure string of safe houses and Guerin's knack for obtaining clothing, food, and false papers, Hall's Lyon ring was now firmly established. One particular client, a wealthy French widower with a pass to cross the demarcation line into German-occupied France, offered to ferry messages to and from the Paris- Parisian resistance. His <laughs> brother-in-law, the local chief of police, likewise turned a blind eye to Hall's activities, even passing along early warning of coming arrests and raids. Literally,
1: all I, my retirement plan is just to be an elderly French widower who smuggles illegal messages across enemy lines. That's all I want. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm just really impressed with Gerin. I'm like, (laughs) jeez, you're good. I don't know what you do, but whatever it is, you do it well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just not fuck around.
0: I mean, she also does fuck around, and I think that's half the attraction. (laughs) (laughs) And yet it works. (laughs) Guerin likewise encouraged her employees to help the resistance effort by passing along information from loose-lipped clients and rifling through their pockets while they were asleep. Germaine's girls also encouraged German clients to use potentially dangerous drugs and alongside their gynecologist enacted a scheme where, it went, where whenever they found themselves with a particularly juicy STI, they would intentionally pass it on to several German military officers before seeking treatment. That's...
1: Fascinating. I, I, I am truly a, lost for words.
0: A rather unorthodox form of biological weapon. <laughs> like I guess, like give the Nazis the clap.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess if bombs fail, we always have syphilis. Like S-
0: syphilis is on the side of freedom. <laughs> Liberté, fraternité, and gonorrhea. (laughs) Uh, Said gynecologist, a French army reservist named Dr. Jean Rousset, had been sheltering Jews and escaped POWs since his unit was dismantled in 1940. Hull began using his office as a command post, while Rousset set up a fake lunatic asylum in the floors above to be used as another safe house. These only a few of the small, discreet, self-contained cells organized by Hall, to which she acted as a liaison and supplier, including antique, perfume, and underwear merchants, hairdressers, and a high-end engraver with a dab hand for forging official documents. I would watch this sitcom. (laughs) They're like, oh yeah, we're just hiding, hiding escaped agents in the lingerie, (laughs) as one does... As a woman who had been disabled for much of her adult life in a judgmental and hostile society, Hall had a finely tuned instinct for who would be receptive to her clandestine overtures. Uh, many of these French citizens actually approached her as a friendly and sympathetic outsider who represented a nation that still stood, stood for personal freedom. RAF pilots were instructed that they sh- sh- should they find themselves downed in France, to head for the American embassy in Lyon and said they were, say they were a friend of Olivier, at which point they would be put in contact with Marie Monin, that is to say, Virginia Hall, who would secret them away until she could organize their escape from the country. All the while, Hall wrote articles frantically in order to maintain her cover. Damn, and I didn't do anything today. I do nothing.
1: (laughs) I consider it a great personal hardship to have to go to the laundromat.
0: I went outside once today, and it was to get root beer. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) vital supplies i'm podcasting (laughs) (laughs) just the essentials you know hall likewise attempted to train her fellow agents out of infuriatingly british habits such as carrying a raincoat everywhere and placing their cutlery vertically atop their plates at the end of meals like good etonian boys and instead to mop up every sliver of sauce with bread like the french After the Americans joined the war, their agents had to be forbidden from chewing gum or putting their hands in their pockets. (laughs) (laughs) Uncouth American. This entirely understandable paranoia, given that many agents were picked up for the slightest error in their mannerisms, such as one who was arrested by the Gestapo after walking in front of a car, having forgotten that the French drive on the opposite side of the road from the British. Hall even collected cigarette stubs for agents to smoke to prevent them from getting nicotine withdrawal jitters, a necessity as women were banned from many unladylike behaviors such as buying cigarettes. The harlots. (laughs) Yeah, like, a lot of the crackdown in Vichy France was, to an extent, a direct response to the libertine years that had come before. Uh... Indeed, one of Hall's strengths as an agent was her strong drive to take care of people by whatever means necessary, a trait that earned her no small amount of loyalty in a time of deprivation and chaos. The other Lyon-based SOE agent, Alain, struggled in comparison, and Hall viewed him as a reckless and emotionally needy amateur who occupied much of his time with drinking and a series of indiscreet girlfriends. He made False report to London that he had recruited ten thousand locals ready to rise up against occupation when the time came, which was far from the truth, as to be absurd. If you're not good at your job, just lie. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to fudge your resume; it's a whole nother thing to fudge every report thereafter. To fudge a revolution—it's a bold mm. move. <laughs> like that, you. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't fudge. Taking a 20-minute break when you only a 50 minutes was allowed, but it's a whole nother thing to claim 10,000 imaginary Frenchmen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like if I if I tell my boss that I'm like kind of behind on my social work notes, when I'm super behind, like I can kind of fix that mistake. If I tell him that I've started an uprising against capitalism itself, I had better produce a goddamn uprising.
0: You're going to have to show some results eventually. Right? <laughs> what was the end game there? Well, the end game was stealing from Hall. Alain formally outranked her and, with support from London, attempted to bully her, bully her into allowing him to take over her own extensive ring of contacts. Hall resisted, Ooh. repeatedly telling the Baker Street office to lay off both on the basis of her trust relationship with the resistance cells she had started and Alain's obvious incompetence, a view shared by other agents on the ground with a better vantage point than London. Hall's position as a liaison was was the crucial linchpin in the whole operation, and and a weak link like Alain could easily bring the whole thing crashing down. Incidentally, as a fun fact, uh, the Baker Street office referred to themselves as the Baker Street Irregulars, a reference to Sherlock Holmes, and the group of street urchins he used as spies. Oh, there is whimsy in war. We have our little chuckles. (laughs) We do have fun. In December 1941, after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor prompted the United States to enter the war as a combatant, George Backer, publisher for the New York Post, sent an urgent cable to Hall, strongly recommending that she leave for the sake of her own safety. Her cover as an American journalist now offering little protection, even in a nominally neutral country such as Vichy, France. Hall refused. Likewise in December, Lucas, operating out of Paris, became frustrated with his inability to contact home office, and met up with the French mistress of the recently arrested head of a Polish intelligence ring in the city, Mathilde Carré, called La Chatte, who was offered who offered to send messages to London for Lucas using using said said Polish officer's transmitter. Unknown to Lucas, Lechotte passed all the messages back and forth from Baker Street to Hugo Bleicher, an Abwehr officer and rising counter-espionage ace she'd been living with for the past six weeks.
1: (laughs) Her, Her boyfriend of six
0: weeks she decides to sell out the nation of France. While Lucas caught on after only a couple weeks, his indiscretion and impatience had already allowed Bleicher to piece together that there was some crucial, until now undetected agent of allied espionage somewhere along the French section of the Rhone River to the south.
1: Like, how unreal was that dick?
0: Dick came strong if she'll sell out her like <laughs> right. country. Lucas confronted Lachat, who admitted to having turned informant against around 70 of her former Polish compatriots, because apparently this is a habit, in return for her own comfort and safety. And, of course, that dick. Uh, Instead of eliminating Lachat and going into hiding, Lucas concocted the exceedingly risk-high-risk maneuver of bringing her to London for interrogation, then turning her against Bleicher as a triple agent. ho ho oh. I just like that we have, like, abandoned everything. It's just Looney Tunes logic from here out. <laughs> right? <laughs> just, holy shit. Lachat convinced, convinced Bleicher that she and Lucas should go to London, where she would act as-, as an adverse spy in the heart of the SOE operation. And Bleicher contacted Baker Street requesting pickup, pretending to be Lucas, leading Lucas no means of warning them that Lachat was not to be trusted or of the Germans' involvement. An error that eventually resulted in the capture of an unwary... British naval officer, and the eventual capture and likely murder of two other SOE agents. Uh, incidentally, wireless operators!
1: Yay! Holy fuck, I didn't realize that World War II was written and directed by Wes Anderson, but here we are.
0: (laughs) Huh... Just imagine every single individual I've mentioned thus far being voiced by Mel Blanc, and it's not too far off. It's, it's, t- nobody has realistic motivations.
1: Everything is running on cartoon logic.
0: <laughs> there are fewer plot holes in the average Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> and they're already world history. Here's the thing about fiction. It has a certain like requirement to be somewhat realistic. All the while, Lucas failed to pass word to Hall that her position in Lyon may have been compromised. It was instead a second SOE agent who had been working alongside Lucas, Ben Cowburn, who escaped German German surveillance and raced five days to the American Embassy in Vichy, who he begged to send a radio warning to London of the compromised transmitter in Paris, then rushed to Lyon to warn Hall. Lachat was immediately put under surveillance upon arrival in Britain, and was later imprisoned when she could be of no further use. Hall decided to risk staying put, rather than request exfiltration. Likewise in January, before Lucas' confrontation with Lachat, a radio operator codenamed Georges 35, in honor of Georges Begay, and that means George, George 35, incidentally, ugh. It's like having like a goldfish... That keeps dying, and you just keep giving it the... Like, just fin diesel two, fin diesel three, fin diesel four. <laughs> That's a goddamn excellent name for a goldfish.
1: Damn
0: it. <laughs> I mean, I understand why you're attached to it, even if you can't keep fish alive. <laughs> uh, he had been parachuted 150 miles outside of Paris for Lucas's use. He never arrived, however, because he was dropped 25 miles off course into a French vineyard. Where he Holy nearly landed on a fuck. row of sharpened stakes and was quickly spotted by a loud and enthusiastic dog. Holy <laughs> fuck, they're bad at this. <laughs> yeah, you just nearly. Vlad Tepest, you're fucking ancient. <laughs> it's just
1: like, what's that below us? Is that just. Is that the, the drop off or is that just a pit of spikes? And they're like, I don't know,
0: just drop them. We'll, let's find out. <laughs> He'll figure it out. He's been trained. Uh, fearing police attention, Georges 35 quickly buried his radio and left on foot. After a month wandering the French countryside, failing to make contact with the SOE, he wound up in Marseille hoping for exfiltration. Virginia was alerted to his arrival there on February 24th and instead requested that he go to the Villa des Bois safe house where she had deduced Georges 1 must have secreted away his own radio. Georges Trin V returned a few days later, radio in tow, and finally the Free Zone ring established real-time communication with London. Lucas returned as soon as possible to France, re-entering on April 1st, 1942, with the bare precaution of switching his codename to Sylvien. For the sake of security, Sylvia should have avoided any contact with Hall. But he still lacked both a wireless operator and a drop of fucking sense. So after only two weeks, he sent two couriers south, one of whom was captured at the demarcation line and tortured over the course of three days. The papers he was carrying sent to Bleicher, who recognized Sylvain's handwriting. Oh, God damn it! The Gestapo arrested Sylvain's entire ring before apprehending Sylvain his- himself on April 25th in a French cafe. Sylvain attempted unsuccessfully to commit suicide via morphine during interrogation, but managed to talk his way into the POW camp at Kolditz uh, Col- instead of summary execution by firing squad.
1: I just like the idea that he tried and failed to commit suicide by pill during the like interrogation. Like he was gonna go take the pill and they just slap it out of his hand. and He's
0: like, well, fuck. I mean, it's just clear that he can't get anything right. <laughs> Bleicher now focused his attention on the intended recipient of Sylvian's message, the mysterious man in Lyon, who had thus far frustrated all effort to shut down Allied intelligence, infiltration of France. This, especially as in March, mass public demonstrations among French factory workers began. Hall had always operated with an excess of caution, always varying her appearance, her schedule, and the route she took home, checking constantly for potential tales and memorizing addresses rather than writing them down. However, as her infamy grew and her network stretched across the entire free zone, the risks mounted. One particular close call came in the form of an insistent young man who arrived at her door claiming to be an SOE parachute drop. It's unclear what about him tipped Hall off, but she pretended ignorance and sent him away. She soon after moved to a new import- apartment, one with her- once-, once more with her favorite architectural detail of multiple exits. <laughs> Useful. Okay, I'll give her that. Uh, you know what I look for in an apartment? Like, at least two bathrooms, you know, bay windows, and multiple exits, just in case the Gestapo come for me. Just lovely. I will enjoy having the second bathroom. But, I like, do. I really do insist love... about the multiple exits. <laughs> <laughs> I just
1: love that her, like, best spy tools are basically changing her hair and memorizing. <laughs> that's, right? That's the equipment oh, she's got. That's what I learned in grammar school did you go to spy grammar school cuz that seems irresponsible
0: <laughs> i mean my mother did uh did as a way of alleviating my anxiety she used to give me secret missions that i could focus on instead of the fact that i was terrified of other human beings
1: quick jessica
0: obtain military secrets because you're scared of grade 8 <laughs> Social awkwardness is the key to many, many forbidden arts. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, Hall began using her contacts in prisons and hospitals to make some unscheduled releases of valuable resistance prisoners, in part as a humanitarian effort, and in part for the skills they could offer, and in no small amount to restrict the amount of information about the resistance the Gestapo might extract. April 1942 also saw the return of Pierre Laval to the Vichy government. Laval having been previously dismissed for being too enthusiastic about collaborating with the Nazis. In June, the, the Vichy government accepted Nazi demands to detain and transport 10,000 Jews from the so-called safe zone of southern France. When numbers fell short, it was Laval who removed the German exemption for children under 16, allowing entire families to be rounded up.
1: Oh. So just dude's got just a just an express ticket to hell.
0: Oh yeah, this is full-on industrial baby murder here. All right, (laughs) This is not a nice man. (laughs) This is... think happy thoughts. On June 22nd, the New York Post broke the news that Jews in Paris were now required to wear a yellow star under the byline of Virginia Hall. That summer, Lyon, known as a hotbed of resistance, fervor, and center of allied espionage, became the focus of German counterintelligence. The Funkabwehr including 80 detector vans, which, given the technology of the time, were relatively easy to spot, what with the fact they had no roofs in order to avoid signal interference.
1: Okay, yep, yeah, dead <laughs> giveaway.
0: <laughs> Hall likewise re- required their plate numbers from the French police. The not dri- a
1: lot of luxury convertible Sussable.
0: minivans. Not really a format. If you could think, like, how could a panel van be more suspicious well, what if it didn't have a roof and just instead had a massive aerial sticking out of the top? <laughs> just open it up like a can of sardines. The Germans likewise took to selectively shutting off power district power district by district after detecting illicit transmissions. Then, when the transmission was cut short, locking down the district in question. This resulted in incredible stress on the few radio operators available, whose official expected survival duration was around three months at the time. Oh, and, <laughs> yeah. Morale. There are longer-lived species of mayfly. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. And due to a shortage of safe houses, many of those operators took to working out of Hall's apartment, relying on the shelter of her police protection, an arrangement that could only last so long. And that is where we will leave off for this week.
1: I mean, my boyfriend's from the south of France and he does not speak German, so I assume that it ends it ends okay for France. I'm not gonna say well, Admittedly. but it's, it's okay.
0: Mm. Spoiler alert, my boyfriend's
1: fine. <laughs> <laughs> so everything's okay.
0: <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I'm Jessica. And I'm still Janelle. And we are Fat, fat
1: French. French and fabulous. fabulous.